Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into Luke chapter number 8. A pretty interesting section of Scripture that Luke 8 starts off with, as you would think that it would be seemingly unconnected to the overall events of, of what has taken place over in chapter 6, chapter 7, but very unique in and beautiful in itself. So we're going to talk about these these beginning verses, 1 through 3 today, and then we're going to get into the parable of the sower. And with that, let us turn to the Lord, asking for His blessing upon a good day. Father, we are thankful. We ask and pray, Lord, that You will bless us in a mighty way as we come together around the Word of God. We pray that You will enlighten us, Lord, give us understanding that we may be able to know You better to be able to share you better, to be able to love you better. We'll thank you for how you work in us, with us, and through us this day in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. First three verses we come to, uh, and, and what do they reveal? And so you see the scripture would say soon afterward, he went through, uh, throughout the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. <laughs> Interesting section of scripture, I say, is because all of a sudden you start seeing a list of these, these young ladies that, that would be accompanying Jesus, understanding that the twelve went with him. So the twelve are those that are most, that are going to be the closest to Jesus, that Jesus is going to invest the most amount of instruction, the most amount of explanation into. And the reason is, is because there's no possible way for Jesus to reach the world by himself. And that's kind of important to understand. While Jesus is contained inside of that skin sack that his father sent him to be a part of mankind so that he would be the acceptable and perfect sacrifice for all of mankind, it limits his ability to be able to touch the whole world. And so Jesus gets these 12 apostles because whereas one man might be able to speak to 12, 12 could speak to 200, 200 could speak to 2,000, and 2,000 can speak to 2 million. So we see that this is a pattern that Jesus has begun to establish where he would uh, be in the process of building his church. Now, we also know that, that where these 12 are, oftentimes you'll find a multitude of people that are following Jesus, that are claiming to be disciples of Jesus. Of course, we understand that Jesus weeds that number down uh, pretty, pretty hardcore when he begins to instruct his disciples about being the bread of life in John chapter 6. However, at this point... Uh, he's got a fair multitude of people that are that are following him and listening to him and learning from him. But the scriptures are really neat because oftentimes we think of this as, as just the guys. But it isn't just the guys. We have to realize that there there are lots of young ladies who were in, you know, who were serving of service and in service 
to Christ during his earthly ministry. And there are several women recognized throughout the scripture, certainly in the Old Testament. I mean, the whole books are written for Ruth. They're written for Esther. There are several women throughout the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there, there are several women like Sophia with working with Paul, like Lydia is also working with Paul. I, like these ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Jesus's mother, Susanna, <clears throat> that you see here, and, and also Joanna. These ladies are known uh, not only for the service that they render under the king and, and the ways that they would provide and take care for the, the apostles and for the whole group that would be together, but also of what they had of their means. You consider Joanna. Now, this is interesting because Herod is uh, effectively trying to kill this Jesus. But within his own household, he has servants, as it were, that would be following and obedient to this Jesus. And so uh, it would be about like being invited to go preach in the devil's den. <laughs> and Jesus has, has reached even the devil's own household, so to speak. And so Joanna, who the, is the wife of Chusa, now Chusa is... Herod's household manager, so this is getting upwards of where Joseph was to Pharaoh as a household manager, and uh, you, you find that there were many other young ladies who would provide out of their means, meaning that even though they were still technically considered slaves, they're living high on the hog as being slaves, and so it's very important that that Jesus in his earthly ministry never had anything, but was always taken care of. He's always provided for, always supplied, so that every need that he had was met. And, and this is the beauty of how Christianity works together. How, how when, when a ministry is true and when the gospel is truly spoken, that we support that, that we surround that, and that we lift it up. And that we get it to the whole world so that they may know Jesus. And that's what these young ladies were doing. Now, this Mary called Magdalene. Uh, a lot of times people believe that, that this is a young lady that is from Magdalene or Magdal. Which is a location that is in this region that Jesus has been going around in, in, in the cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. There's no question about it. But the scripture clearly states that this Mary is called Magdalene, not from Magdalene. And the reason why is because this, this title, Magdalene, during its, its period of time and location, meant that she is a prostitute. And the prostitution that she is has been involved with, uh, large in part, would be recognized from the last part of verse number two, as it said, from whom seven demons had gone out. And so we find that, that this woman of her own dignity would not have been a prostitute, but having been so filled with devils, 
that it was the natural inclination of those evil spirits within her that that drew her flesh to prostitution. And I personally think there are a lot of, of uh, paid escorts, as they're called, or a lot of uh, prostitution that exists out there. Uh, also a title called sex trafficking or trafficking in persons. I think that there are a lot of people who are uh, engaged in this type of, of work against their will. In other words, if they, if they were in their right mind, they wouldn't be performing this activity. If they, if they were free to make a choice, they wouldn't be choosing to exercise the, the, these kind of, of, of this kind of work. They would, they wouldn't be doing this. And oftentimes it's revealed like in verse number two, there, there are devils involved that rather kidnap these people and drug them to a point where they become addicts. And then this is the means by which they can get their next fix or that's trafficking in persons. A lot of times they, they snatch somebody and they, and then take them thousands of miles away from their homes and get them addicted to drugs within the first five days. And then, and then they, they just live a life strung out and not knowing really even who they are. Or you, you have this scenario where you've got the, the, the issues of, of a people that say, well, I don't have any other options. I, I grew up on the streets. It's the only way I can, I can get food. And, and regardless of, of how many different ways which you've heard people justify their reasoning for working in prostitution, the end result is, is it's only about necessity or survival. It's not about a choice that this is something I really want to do because it's, it's, it's against the godly order. It's it's against everything that inside of you would be screaming. This is not a, this is not right. You see, Romans chapter number two and verse number fifteen says that the law of God is written on every heart, and in that law that is written in our hearts, it will accuse us when we are wrong, and it will excuse us when we've been truthful, when we've been right. And I think that, that even this Mary that that had these demons removed from her, once she was free to make a choice and once she was in her right mind, she followed Jesus. She gave up that life of prostitution and that was all it was. And in fact, I believe that this Mary you see in verse number two is the same Mary that was that was being set free just at the end of Luke chapter seven inside of that Pharisee's house as she's on on her face before Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair and washing them with the tears of her eyes, anointing them with oil and kissing his feet. I think this is the exact same girl. And her sister would be Martha and her brother would be Lazarus. You'll meet them in uh, the book of John, but in chapter number 11, specifically when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Mary and Martha are there. And so we come to the parable of the seed and the sower, and I surely love this this particular parable uh, because I, I just ask you, if you have ears to hear, hear. Now, remember what this word means. If, if you have a heart to understand, so he says, if you have, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me rephrase that. 
He who has a heart to, to receive my word and understand it, then let him understand. And, and that's very powerful truth right there, because so many times we could read over the sower and the seed, and we could totally miss the very point of what Jesus is saying in it. So we're going we're gonna to look at it today. So beginning in verse number four, the scripture goes down and he says, And when a great crowd was gathering, uh, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're going to get in the parable of the seed and the sower. And I'm, I want you to just put it in the comments, guys. Just put it in the comments. I'm curious. How many examples of this, before we look at Jesus explaining this to the apostles, how many examples of this are people who are saved? And how many examples of this are people who are lost? So you have those along the wayside where, where those who are, are along the path, I should say, in verse number five, that are trampled underfoot and the birds devour. Then you have those who fell on a rock. Then you have those who fell on a thorn. And then you had those who fell into good soil. Of these examples, these, let's see, one, two, three, four. Of these four examples, which of these recognized people who are saved, who have, who have received salvation, and which of these recognize those who are lost? Put it in the comments, guys. I'm very curious about this. And and if you're listening on podcast, just just think on these things for a moment, and then we will we will move forward and get Jesus's explanation. The purpose of the parables we discover in verse number nine. Jesus is disciples. They say, what what is meant? What what does this parable mean? And so Jesus explains to, to his apostles specifically, but the disciples as well. He said, to you it is given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, this is very powerful when you consider because Jesus is speaking to a massive crowd, right? So he speaks in a parable, and the purpose behind that is so that we may be able to glean the understanding from the parable using something physical or material in nature to describe something spiritual. It's about like what uh, C.S. Lewis did with Narnia. If you, if you read the the in the opening pre preface to the book of Narnia, you'll find that C.S. Lewis was was writing Narnia as, as one gigantic allegory to, to draw you to those things of the faith, to draw you to Christianity. And so all through Narnia, you, you, you can see this story play out, but then you can it, it references things that you think about, and you're like, oh, well, that was kind of like the crucifixion. Oh, but that was kind of like Samson when he had his hair cut and he lost his strength. Oh, that was kind of like... And that was what it was meant to do is... 
is incite your imagination to the Word of God more than just a fairy tale being played out. And so it, it's very important that Jesus said, I use these parables. And of course, he's using the seed and the sower because he's in an area of the, the country where it is more farming based. And so it makes sense to use farming culture as a means to explain what he's trying to say. The people would readily grasp it. They would understand what it was like for seed to be cast onto the rocks because that area of their crop is going to be weaker than the than the other areas. He's going to understand what it means for for the uh, the issues that would take place with the, the thorns and, the, and the, the weeds growing up with the crop because they had to deal with that all the time. It isn't like they could just make up some Roundup and go to work. Didn't have it as far as I know back in that day. And they, you know, they, they would they would grasp that good soil because that's what they're most longing for in their fields to be able to get the best high yield of, of grain that they can or whatever they're growing so that they can make some money for the year. So he speaks to them in this parable of a seed and the sower. And this very well may be very familiar to a lot of folks around here in, in the Bedford area where a lot of farming uh, it does exist and a lot of wheat is grown and, and, and different uh, crops, corn, things of that nature. You want the good soil, but you're very familiar with the area around here and the rocks, uh, the boulders and, 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 and the rocky soil. And we, we have such a humid climate during the summer that weeds are inevitable. You could lay down a whole swath of Roundup and you're still going to have some weeds growing up around your 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 crop and so it's this this parable really could speak to you but remember what i asked which of these recognized saved people those who would come to faith and which of these recognizes lost people who have rejected and turned away from the teaching and so he says to you it is given to know the secrets of the kingdom of god but for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus there also, in verse 10, connects hearing to understanding, which is pretty important because that's what we've been saying. But Jesus said it. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, verse 11. The parable is this. Okay, now we're getting Jesus' explanation of the parable. So we're going to compare what we thought to Jesus' explanation so that he can teach us. The seed is the word of God. And so we re we understand that. Going into this, as soon as we see the parable of the seed and the sower, we fully understand that the, that the seed is the word of God. Now, verse 12, the first category of people that, that as Jesus would say, and we'll back up and we'll look at this, so we're going to be verse 12, but as Jesus' example would say, uh, in verse number five, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So we're going to look at that. Jesus' explanation. The ones along the path are those who have heard. In other words, the gospel was shared with them. They have heard. Then... The devil comes, so the devil is recognized in the birds. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
so there there are those that you're going to share the gospel with that are going to be interested initially in what you have said. They're going to be interested in in the topic and and sitting there discussing with you. And and as you would urge them to come to faith, as you would urge them to to receive salvation, they would then put the brakes on and they would say, "Well, these are things I need to consider." I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to need a little more time. And then, of course, as they walk away from this, this is when the devil's doing his work on overtime, convincing them of the fairy tale or convincing them that this isn't something they really need, convincing them that, that this was all a sham, a hoax, a lie. What have you, he's convinced them not to trust in Jesus. And so this first category of people are lost. They, they have heard the gospel and in that hearing, they may very well have understand the principles of the gospel and salvation. They would understand those things which you were explaining, but the devil would snatch it from them and, and they would remain lost and having no salvation. So the first category of people are indeed, through Jesus' explanation, those who are and remain lost. Now, the second category of people, as you recall, they are the ones that fell on the rock and they withered away because they didn't have any moisture and the sun rose up. Jesus says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, here's the point, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. Now, this is very important because in this particular group, they, they take root. In other words, they receive the gospel and they believe it. And that, that is paramount because this group of people are recognized as those who have received salvation. Now, they, they receive it with joy, in fact, the scripture says, through Jesus' word. They get the understanding of the word of God. They say, yes, I need Jesus. They receive it with joy. And, and the point of having no root isn't that they're not connected to Jesus, but it's just like what we often find in Christianity today in those places where where the word of God would not be taught, where the word of God would not be proclaimed or expounded upon, but where entertainment is more more to the people's value than the preaching, where uh, programs and, and all of this other stuff and dinners and stuff, 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 stuff becomes the, the principal point of, of being a part of a church instead of growing in Jesus and in knowledge of his word is that these believe for a while, while it's fun, while it's comfortable, while it's convenient, and while it's easy, but in the time of testing, in the time where, where it gets hard, in the time where persecution comes, in the time where, where you know, somebody would argue with you or disagree with you or, or be upset with you because you, you were supposed to do something you didn't do it, or you're supposed to be somewhere, you were supposed to, whatever it was with the church, and it didn't happen, so you just got upset and you fall away. These are recognized by a great swath of American Christianity today 
I call them six-month believers or, or one-year believers. Now, these guys can be one way or the other. These guys could be lost. There's no question about that, that they could hear the word and say, yes, this is what I've been looking for, but never truly receive the gospel, never truly receive Jesus into their heart, just would have found that answer to to the, the problems that they're currently facing and say, well, let me give Jesus a try or let me try on Jesus and see if I like what I'm feeling or see if I like what happens in my life. And when things don't work out the way that they dream that Christianity would work out, they just fall away. That is possible that these guys be lost. But I know plenty of people who have come come back to church and said, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I know I'm saved. However, I got involved with the world. I, I got led astray. I, I, I just left the church. I left Jesus for a long time. But he's, he's convicted me this whole time. And I, I've known in my heart that I'm supposed to be in you know, in church, growing in Jesus, serving the Lord, not serving myself. So I've, I've come to renew my commitment with Jesus. I've come to surrender to Christ. And so in this case, this would be a people who indeed would claim salvation, but had fallen away and thus are returning to Christ. And that's very important too. So this this people on the rock, this people could be lost, but they also could be saved. And so that's the challenge that you face with the people on the rock is that indeed they could be coming because they just got initially excited about how they felt in a service and said, I want this. And they spend a little time, but when it gets normalized in their life, they say, nah, I don't need this Jesus stuff anymore. I'm feeling fine. Or you've got some saved people that, that really have received Christ, but just went rebellious against his will and, and ended up in the world and are seeking to return. So this second category, whereas the first is lost, there's no measure of salvation that has come to this people at all. In the second category, you'll find that this could be a people lost or saved because uh, a lot of people come to to church to try and change their life they come to church to try and and fix the problems they're going through because nothing else is fixing it and they really don't receive Jesus they just hear the gospel but then when when issues happen in their lives they run away they turn away from it also, you'll find that these would be a people who indeed at 10, 12, 13 had received Christ, but then as they reached into their rebellious years of being a teenager, they, they drifted away from the, the church, the things of God, the, the study of God's word, and got into all kinds of things they shouldn't have been getting into to begin with, and after a period of time of conviction of the Lord, they they realize their need to return to the house of God, and so they do. So this is this is the challenge that we have in, in those, the seed that's on the rock. Rocky hearts are always tough to tell. Now, we move down 
<clears throat> and the thorns. This is really exciting. I love this. The thorns. Jesus said in verse number 14, And asked for what fell among the thorns. They are those who hear. But as soon as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And their fruit does not mature. Now, their fruit. In other words, the point is, is that these are believers. This isn't an area where you're caught in between possibly being lost or possibly being saved. These are people who are saved. These are believers. These are those that when the seed was sown, it was sown in the midst of a life that was filled with thorns. And that's exciting because we deal with that all the time. And it is the thorns. Remember that, that uh, in, in Paul's letters said that he was afflicted with a thorn in his flesh. It's very important to understand that it is the thorns that, that we all have. You see, there's no person on the face of this planet that does not have these thorns that exist inside of them. And these thorns will grow up with your walk with God. They grow up with your faith in growing. They grow up alongside of the wheat, in other words. And so, as you grow in the Lord, so grows the thorns that would seek to choke you out. So grows the thorns that would seek to, to keep you back from being a servant of God. And the way that the Apostle Paul explained this particular section of scripture right here as concerning Romans chapter number seven. And Paul would say, the things that I want to do that I know are good, those are the things I'm not doing, but the things that I don't want to do, those are often the things I find myself doing. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Paul is recognizing that, that there is the spirit that lives within me and the word of God is the desire of my spirit. I want to serve God. I want to follow God. I want to, I want to just be used of God any which way he would desire to use me. However, I still live in this skin sack and inside of this skin sack comes a law all by itself, Paul reveals. And it's called, it's called the, the war of the, the flesh versus the spirit. There's another law warring in my members against the flesh, uh, against the spirit. And in this flesh are all kinds of doubts, all kinds of worries, all kinds of fears, anxieties, depression exists inside of this skin sack. The, the uh, fears of, of doing the Lord's work, what's going to happen to me? Uh, the, Will I be able to accomplish it? Am, am I ever going to make it in this life? Am I going to be poor? Am I not going to be able to provide for my family? Am I not going to be able to have transportation or whatever? I mean, there's so much that we can convince ourselves out of serving God. And that is the point behind this, this parable that Jesus is revealing. There are those whose whose seed once it began to grow the thorns grew with it and what happened to them as they go on their way now this statement that Jesus makes right here as they go on their way 
when you come to Matthew chapter number 28 and the Great Commission, we're all familiar with the Great Commission. And, and Jesus would, would say, go, preach and teach the gospel to them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This word go is the same nature of the word go right here in the text of Luke 8, 14. And the definition of this word go is, is spelled out in this phrase as they go on their way. So as Jesus would say, go into all the world, he's saying wherever you are in the path that I shall lead your life, Take the gospel with it. Go in the way that I direct you. So as they go on their way, in other words, these people, they're saved, they're, they're obedient even, they're, they're serving the Lord, they're going in the path that Jesus has established for them. But what happens to them? They get choked. They get choked. And, and guys, every single one of us that is tuned into this right now has to confess that there have been times in our life when we've been choked in the faith. But we knew we needed to share the gospel. We, we wanted to share the gospel. We knew we, knew we needed to, to, to change the way that we were living. We, we knew that we needed to do things for Jesus. We, we, knew, we knew, we knew, we knew, but we were choked. It says they are choked by the cares and riches <laughs> By the cares, the worries, the doubts, the fears, by the riches, the pleasure, the comfort, and the 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 notoriety, the riches, and the pleasures, the things we have and the things that we amass and the things we're not willing to give up for the Lord. And so what happens to their fruit? See, these are those that bear fruit. These are those... That, that are connected to the vine and have ability to produce fruit. Hence, they're saved. But it never matures. These, these fill the, the halls of churches all over the United States, of, of bench warmers, people who, who have been coming to church for, for 40, 60, 30, 20, 10 years, crazy amounts of years, but effectively are never doing anything with the gospel, never doing anything really with the church, just but just attending because they're so busy with their own pleasure. They're so busy with their own life and they're, they're so choked by all of the cares and the worries about all the things that they're into that they give God no consideration except for maybe a Sunday morning, maybe every week. And that's, these who fall among the thorns. You want to serve God, weed the garden. It's that simple. There's things you got to give up. There's things you got to be willing to surrender. There's things you got to be willing to let go of and give up. You want to serve God, weed the garden. But then the good soil. So what we... What we have to this point is the first group of people being completely lost. There's, there's nothing there. It just, the birds, the devil snatches it out of them. They, they don't have anything. The second group of people can be saved. They can be. They just 
don't have any connection, real, real solid connection, or don't work on a solid connection to Christ. But they could also be lost, never having a solid connection. In other words, it took root. They believed that this is what they needed. They believed that that this is where they needed to be. But after a period of time where everything worked out, and everything starts feeling better, and you don't really need Jesus anymore, you're gone. You fall away. Use him like a, a Jesus in the Bible sort of thing, a genie in the bottle. Uh, and a lot of lot of people that claim to be Christian live this rocky soil kind of life where they're in church for a while and then everything's okay and then they leave church because they can go back to the normalcy of their, their sin. And then it gets them in trouble again and they're back in church and they're praying and they're asking and they're living and then everything balances out and they leave church again. And so... Yeah, this is that rocky soil. But then the, the the third group of people we discovered is just those who really are just genuinely saved. But they just got so much in their life that they just, there's too many too many challenges. What what would be said by the author of Hebrews in chapter number twelve? Lay aside the sin and the weights that easily beset you. And follow after the author and finisher of your faith. And that it's very important to realize that there are so many ways in which we can be beset from the service of God because of those cares and doubts and worries and fears, and how that we also can be uh, beset from serving God because of the pleasures we don't want to give up and the and, and, and the things that we don't want to let go of, the sin that does so easily beset us. And thus we come to the good soil. And praise God, I hope you guys find yourself in some good soil today. And the good soil are those who, when they heard the word of God, they hold it fast. Hold fast. They receive the word of God. They believed it. They, they, they apply it to their heart. These are those within the last group that we had, no application. The group before that, if they were saved, no application. But this group, application. They apply what they receive and, and allow with open heart Jesus to make those changes necessary for them to be servants of God. And so it says that this good soil, those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, this is also another very important point that the Southern Baptists have totally lost sight of as concerning the, the 80s and the 90s, is bearing fruit with patience. In other words, people aren't just going to get saved every week because you spoke. <laughs> people aren't going to get saved every week just because you want them to or because you need them to so that you can have higher numbers of people than the church down the road so that you can be seen in a, in a better light. Uh, people aren't going to be saved just because you came up with the newest method of evangelism and, and, and because you ask people tough questions that they don't know how to respond to. You think you got them and then you lead them through this, this, this Romans road and then ask them to pray a prayer with you and then congratulate them and they walk away wondering who in the world you were and not caring about what you just finished saying. The fruit that comes through Christ by the Holy Spirit is that which comes with patience. Never have you been able to, 
to put a crop in the ground and then two weeks later be able to harvest it because it just grew right up. Just boom, there it is. Look, Instacrop. No, it, it takes months. It takes work. It takes preparation of the soil. It takes uh, planting the seed. It takes watering the seed. It takes it takes a lot of effort. It takes keeping your eye on any weeds that could be growing up with it. It takes keeping your eye on the birds and constantly protecting the fields, even when there's nothing there. You're watching over the fields. And, and that's the truth of salvation, is that salvation comes to the hearts of men at God's pleasure, in God's time, through the Holy Spirit of God's conviction on their soul. We plant the seed. We water the seed. We watch over the field. We protect that field. Even if it's not in our church, we still, we, we, we constantly go back over that field. Because in its time, in God's time, the fruit will be born. It takes patience. But we have genetically modified our crops to be able to grow in all kinds of climates. We've genetically modified our food sources so that we can spring it up in half the time. We've genetically modified, meaning we've altered the true state of the crop in order to be able to make it do something that is not natural to it. And the same thing is true with our way of evangelism apart from God. We have altered the truth of God's word. We are trying to speed up the process so that we can feel better about ourselves and so that we can we can increase the the crop, but it won't be a natural crop. It won't be a people truly saved unto grace. It will be a people who are falsely saved at best through the rocky soil, so to speak, because we just we've just worked so hard and pushed so hard. That, that we brought in this thing that called easy believism where you just got to believe. You just got to follow. And that's not true. So guys, uh, we'll get into the lamp under the jar and the statement that Jesus makes possibly tomorrow. Um, really exciting stuff from 16 down to I suppose 21, maybe even to Jesus calming a storm like we saw in Mark. But we get some more detail from it when we do do this in Luke. So I pray that the parable of the seed and the sower was a blessing to you today. I pray that uh, it was really cool to discover the young ladies that were that were of service to the king as well as those apostles and the, and the multitudes that you'll find following. It's really exciting to see that, that Jesus... And the Word of God specifically mentions women uh, on a regular basis because th they're valuable. Praise God. <laughs> you know, oftentimes we think that this is a thing where it's just men. It's just men, men, men. But that's not the case, man. With it, it, it takes both. It takes us both. That's why God created woman from man. It takes us both to be able to accomplish the work of the Lord in this world. So, Praise God for that. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Father, we thank you. and We ask you that you will watch over us the rest of this evening, that you will give us consideration of what was given to us and taught. And we pray that you bless us by the word of God, that we may be a prepared people to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. I'll catch you tomorrow. Take care.